Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Welcome, welcome, welcome to this edition of Rated LGBT Radio, and yes, of course, I am your host, Rob Watson. Um, today, um, she will be calling in later in the show, but we will be welcoming Sarah McBride. Sarah is the first openly transgender state senator in history in the United States. I believe there are other um, elected representatives who are also trans now across the country, um, but Sarah was the first. She was also the very first um, transgender person to speak at the Democrat, Democratic National Convention. I don't know that we've had any transgender person speak at the Republican National Convention um, for probably a good reason, but uh, I, I do know there are some trans people who are Republican. I don't know why they're Republican, but uh, they are. But anyway, um, but Sarah broke ground and broke ceilings um, on uh, a couple of of different areas there. Um, uh, so we're going to talk to her about, um, first of all, what it's like to be serving as a senator in the state legislature. Um, she has had to field um, a couple of these horrendous anti-trans bills, and um, uh, you know, obviously she is an advocate for transgender rights in Delaware, uh, but we are going to find out about that experience. She's also the author of a book called Tomorrow Will Be Different, Love, Loss, and the Fight for Trans Equality. Um, so looking forward to that later in the show. Um, before uh, Sarah comes on, though, I'm going to bring on Brody Levesque. Brody is um, the co-host of the show, and he is also the editor of the Los Angeles Times. Los Angeles Times. Okay. Freudian slip, he should be the editor of the Los Angeles, actually editor of the Los Angeles Blade, which is an up-and-coming uh, newspaper in the Los Angeles area, hot on the trail of the L.A. Times. Um, and also, I see on the board, we also have a special guest that we haven't promoted, but I'm really glad to see her. Um, I think Don Ennis is going to be with us to talk about an article that appears in the L.A. Blade that I promoted today and I think is uh, really an important one that you should be aware of. But first, let me bring on Brody. Brody, welcome to the hey, show. Hey, Rob. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, I am going to immediately defer to Dawn because you and I can cover a couple things after the fact. She's only got about 10 minutes. She's a working journalist. Uh, she is the sports editor and a political commentator for the Los Angeles Blade. She's a sports editor for the Washington Blade. She is a GLAAD award-winning journalist. Uh, she is trans herself. Dawn is someone that I've known now for about five or six years, and I've come to trust as probably one of the best investigative journalists in the space, especially for transgender issues. Uh, she's mixed it up with some of the worst of the anti-trans folks. Uh, actually, it happened to her a couple years ago during um, the NCAA uh, Division I swim championships. Uh, Don was in Atlanta covering those uh, for 
uh, the Los Angeles Blade in Forbes magazine, and she encountered some people that don't care for our community too much, uh, even less so for the trans community, and that got entertaining. But Don just did a, a, a breaking piece on a person that was uh, on Fox News, and I sent it to Don because she's in the tri-state area of New York, Connecticut, and Jersey. And it was like, Don, this is kind of like in your backyard. Why don't you take a look at this? And I'm going to let her tell the rest of the story and let you ask questions because what she came up with, I thought, was really, really fascinating. And it's a testament also to to the value uh, of good journalism, especially for our community. Rob? Yeah, it's it's a testament to the value of good journalism, and it is also the a testament to the bad journalism of Fox News, um, where they bring in a fraud to be their quote-unquote expert. Don, welcome to the show. It's good to talk to you again. Rob, it's great to be back, and congratulations to Brody on his promotion to the Los Angeles Times. <laughs> no, really. <laughs> that would be good for both you and I. So, yeah. yeah so no, let's, I'm let's, kidding, let's, uh... but I'm so glad to be back with you. And may I just say, having interviewed Sarah McBride even before she was a politician, when she made history at the Democratic Convention, I consider her the future of our Democratic Party, a future of our community, not just the trans community. And I have made her uh, a promise that if she becomes president, I will be her press secretary. <laughs> I want to well, sit in the briefing you? rooms for that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. So, so Don, tell us about this fraud um, that Fox News has trotted out to be a quote-unquote whistleblower um, of anti-trans rhetoric. What I think is amazing is after I reported on this uh, interview she did with a what they call Fox Digital Reporter, you know, this is somebody who's just sitting somewhere in Fox headquarters trolling the internet, looking for people to talk about. And she did an interview via video with this woman named Kay Yang, who said she worked at a New York LGBT center. Well, most New Yorkers know there's really only one New York LGBT center, and it's in Manhattan, and it's huge, it's wonderful. It's been there for decades, and they never heard of her. They never heard of her. (laughs) She had no record of ever having worked there. So we did our story. We asked Fox, hey, did you even check to see if maybe she didn't work there, late hours after our story went live on LosAngelesBlade.com, I get an email from Fox saying, hey, it turns out she worked up in Ithaca in central New York, way upstate, which, you know, it's sort of like saying um, you're in L.A., but no, you're really in San Francisco. So what she did was she had appeared on Fox and Friends and on other shows like the Weekend News Back in January, spinning the same story about her turning around and realizing that no, it's it's not it's not uh, it's not right to be um, helping trans youth and uh, coming to terms with you know she's grooming kids. She said, but I went and checked with the LGBT center in the town she says she's in, up in Cortland, New York. Guess what, Rob? She didn't work there either. They have no record of her. They do have a record, though, that she's had a couple of different aliases. She goes by by Yang or Stevens. And doing a little more digging, I found that she's actually been around quite a bit. She's got 
18,000 followers on her Twitter account, 10,000 followers on her Instagram account. She's got a website, thedeprogrammer.com, where she tries to, you know, tell people that um, being trans is wrong. And she's spinning all this propaganda, all this right-wing hate. And all I can imagine is Fox must have gotten to the bottom of the barrel. They didn't have anybody else. And they went through their archives and they said, hey, we haven't talked to that chick from New York in a couple of months. Let's bring her back and spin a different story about how she's, you know, she's found, oh, what did she say? Oh, my God, what have I done? <laughs> was the quote. <laughs> well, what you did, lady, was you've told a whole bunch of lies and we, we broke the story. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's so aggravating on so many levels. I mean, uh, even if, even if she was legit in terms of, somebody who had counseled um, uh, trans teens um, and, and questioning teens and non-binary teens at some point, none of that counseling is converting somebody who calls up and goes, hey, I'm just a teenager playing video games going, hey, why don't you be trans? Why don't you think about maybe you're the wrong gender? Nobody does that. It isn't part of it. Right. We're not recruiting. Like, this is not a recruiting organization. And yeah. I've, I've worked at the center. I've, I've been to the center and other centers across this country. What centers are there for are, is your team or you have questions, need resources. Maybe you will need some guidance. What people will do is they will listen. And when they listen, they will listen to you and your story and your experience. We have an expression in the uh, – trans community, which is taken from old TV commercials, your mileage may vary. It basically means no one's story is the same, and no one is right. trying to get someone to be trans. I, I have a daughter, my three kids. I have a gay son, a bisexual daughter, and my youngest child came out as trans, and believe me, I was a little upset about it because I wanted her to understand what the world was going to do to her. But she was who she was, and I wasn't going to try and dissuade her from being who she is. I'm not going to try and change her or convert her or try and tell her she can't be who she is. I accept her, and I love her. I wanted her to know, hey, it's been hard. But at the same time, you know what? Compared to 10 years ago when I came out, her life's a lot better. She has a circle of yeah. friends in school. She has teachers. She has even the Boy Scouts. They all support her. Yeah, no, absolutely. There is a story in today's um, Los Angeles Blade, um, and, of course, the L.A. Times should cover it, too, but they, I don't know that they did, but it's in the L.A. Blade um, that 40% of adult trans people in the United States have attempted suicide. And, Don, here's my question to you, and I ask this of, of pretty much all my trans friends, if back when you were young, um, under 18, a teenager and younger, had there been trans health care for youth, how would that have impacted your life and your journey? I thought about this a lot. Um, I'm a two-time survivor of suicide attempts. My kids are very lucky that I failed at suicide. That's because we lost their mom seven years ago to cancer. Mm. If I had the opportunity to have transitioned when I was a youth, I would have jumped at it. I, I did, hang on a second, there's some kind of noise outside. Let me just step in the foyer of where I am. If I had the opportunity to transition younger and to um, go through a medical transition, I would have jumped at it. There would have been 
uh, you know, different uh, life. I would not have had been married. I would not have had children, not the way I did. But I think that my life would have turned out more authentic instead of waiting till 49 years old. I'm 59 now. And, you know, I've, I've been myself, my true self for just 10 years. And wouldn't it have been great to have been able to spend the majority of that time as my authentic self? However, it was the 70s and the 80s. As even Kay Yang says, we didn't really have a word for transgender as early as like 15, 20 years ago. Um, it's, it's because now there is a affirming collection and collective of people who get it, who recognize that maybe lesbian and gay bisexual experience is not the same as transgender experience, but it is the same as far as feeling ostracized, as feeling other, mm-hmm. as feeling out, as not being accepted as who we are and who we love. And there are lots of trans people who are gay and lesbian and bisexual. So it is part of the same experience, but I will tell you this, Rob, and I do have to run, but I'm going to say this. If people really don't understand this stuff, get to know somebody. My handle on social media is Life After Dawn. I accept all questions, including from people who don't, you know, know how to ask a question. And I get it. There's lots of questions about sports. There's lots of questions about children who supposedly are having surgeries. No children are having surgeries, Rob. But no. there are questions out there, and I'm willing to answer them. I'm willing to go to put myself out there to help people understand because once you get to know somebody like me, you'll see I'm just another person going through the day, trying to do the best you can, you know, and uh, I'm very, very, very proud of my association with the Blade, and uh, thanks to Brody for uh, keeping me on the payroll. Yep, and yeah, I and I feel the same way uh, for for myself as well. But I, I do want to emphasize a couple things you just said because it's been my experience as a friend of transgender people. Is one, everybody's path is different and their story is different, so don't make assumptions that all trans people are having the exact same experience because they're not, um, and, you know, and get to know people. It's the, the funny thing is when with most of my trans friends, I do not think of them as trans. I, you know, I respect their journey as being trans, but when I think of them, I think of them as their gender, that they are, their real authentic self-gender, and they have to fight like to, to say, be accepted yeah. as that. I like to say being trans is the fifth most interesting thing about me, Rob. <laughs> it's like, well, and and that's the same thing about me being gay. It's like you know, limit our conversation to that just that part of me because you, I will put you to sleep. <laughs> it's not as fun as it sounds. So yeah, absolutely. Well, Don, I'm going to let you go and thank you so much for calling in at the last minute and thank you for the story. Um, I did promote it out on Threads because I thought it was important. I'm um, on Threads. I'm publishing out a story of the day and picking out, you know, recommended reading from the blade um, and putting it out there for folks. And yours was the one today that I thought was Thank you. I'll, worthy I'll have of to that. follow you there. I'm on thread too. Yeah. Oh, I know. I think you do actually, but um, I know I'm following you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Have a great day. <laughs> All right. Take it easy. Thanks for calling in. All right, Brody, back to you. Um, what else is going on in the world? Well, we we were looking at, um, for the last couple of months, my reporters have been working on stories that have dealt directly with the Moms for Liberty 
and folks that have spent a lot of their time getting themselves elected to school boards and also banning books that reference um, critical race theory, uh, which is never taught in American public schools. But a lot of times it's just poking at LGBTQ uh, issues. Um, Yesterday, this, this one actually got a reaction from the White House. The Florida Board of Education approved new standards for teaching um, black history as well as, as, you know, basically making sure that LGBTQ history uh, wasn't, um, you know, taught basically under the new don't say gay law. Um, the revisionist history that the Florida State Board of Education approved yesterday, you're going to love this, would lead students being taught that enslaved people benefited from slavery. Okay. All right. Now, today, Vice President Kamala Harris, who is uh, in uh, Indianapolis, uh, Indiana, she's attending a convention there uh, to give the keynote address at the Digma Sigma Theta Sorority uh, National Convention, and I probably just messed the Latin up, but oh well. Okay, this is from the vice president. They push forward revisionist history. They insult us in an attempt to gaslight us, and we will not stand for it. Speaking of our children, extremists pass book bans to prevent them from learning our true history. Book bans in the year of our Lord, 2023, said the vice president. And while they do this, check it out. Then they keep pushing forward this revisionist history, okay? Just yesterday, the state of Florida, they decided middle school students will be taught that enslaved people benefited from slavery. They insult us in an attempt to gaslight us. We will not stand for it. Today here in Chino, California, uh, just outside of Los Angeles to the east, there will be a school board meeting that's going to be extremely well attended. Because the president of the school board uh, has been pushing hard to pass a policy that essentially would require that teachers and faculties in the Chino school system out trans kids to their parents. Now, there was a state law that was shot down, didn't even get out of committee, uh, that essentially would have done the exact same thing. The author of that particular piece of legislation is friends with the head of this local school board in Chino. And so basically what she did was she co-opted the language of the representative's bill. Okay, it's Assembly, Assemblyman Bill Esselia, and now they're going to incorporate it into school policy. Well, she's in for a little bit of surprise. At tonight's meeting of the Chino School Board, there will be uh, a couple people in attendance of significance, including California's state superintendent of schools, basically secretary of education, if you will, Tony Thurmont. And Tony will be there to basically discuss certain things and issues with, with the folks. Now, we don't know if they're going to try and cut his microphone off because he's going to be doing it during the public comments thing. I spoke to his communications director, uh, another Brody. Yeah, Brody Fernandez. Brody told me that they're going to do their best to make sure that, you know, his comments are are not muted. 
While that's going on, not even an hour south of them in Riverside County, in a place called Temecula, the school board mm-hmm. there voted to say, we're not going to teach any, you know, so-called revisionist history, and we're going to stick with our current books and things. Now, mind you, this is for primary school kids, so years three, four, five. And uh, we're going to keep the textbooks and curriculum that we've had for, wait for it, 17 years, Okay. And why? Because they don't like the mention of slang supervisor Harvey Milk from San Francisco, who was a gay rights leader. Never mind that state law requires teaching of history of all people in California, including LGBTQ. Well, the back and forth got to the point where Governor Gavin Newsom said yesterday, you know what? You can refuse these textbooks, which they did in their little three-to-two majority vote, three conservatives. But guess what we're going to do? The state of California, okay, will deliver, okay, the textbooks. And I'm quoting Governor Newsom. California will ensure students in Temecula begin the school year with access to materials reviewed by parents and recommended by teachers across the district. After we deliver the textbooks into the hands of students and their parents, the state of California will deliver the bill along with a $1.5 million fine to the school board for its decision to willfully violate state law, subvert the will of the parents, and force children to use out-of-print textbooks from 17 years ago. Now, naturally, you would think that the school board folks, okay, would, uh, you know, be like, okay, fine, we, you know, we'll, we'll do that. Well, no, the, the school board president, a Dr. Joseph Komorowski, okay, who referred to Harvey Milk as a pedophile in two separate school board sessions, which that also annoyed the governor, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, basically, basically said, okay, you know what, you can ship the books, but we're going to return them. So there's another epic fight that's boiling there. Now, why do I bring this up? It's because what's happening in San Bernardino County in Chino, what's happening in Temecula and Riverside County, We've also seen it with the Glendale School Board in Los Angeles County, and we're seeing it in Central California. But we're not only seeing it here. Three weeks ago, a school district in New Jersey basically did the same thing. They, they were, like, all about outing trans kids and, you know, limiting discussions of gay people and all these sort of other things. Uh, my dear friend, friend of the show, uh, comedian Julie Scotty, who was actually trans herself, wrote an op-ed letter and I couldn't resist nor could I help myself I sent it to New Jersey's governor Bill Murphy who read it and then republished it (laughs) turns turns out that school board about two weeks later backed off of their decision but as you see from what's going on in Florida what's happening here in California what happened in New Jersey it's happening in Tennessee and, and, and the problem is that this war that they've declared, okay, is is getting really, really, really divisive and really, really ugly. And it's not just the usual places that you would expect to see it. You know, the red states in the middle of the country, well, or, so, or elsewhere. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's an important point that we, we being everybody who is LGBTQ interested, needs to realize and deal with. Um, and it's the harsh truth that a lot of our gains 
um, were done via courts. And while that means that the principles of everything that we stood for and stand for in terms of equality and marriage equality and all of that, um, in principle, are absolutely right and just. Then there is the public and public opinion and public self-interest because there's a reason the people who are in these camps are doing what they're doing and fighting for what they're fighting for. But um, they're not on the same page as the court. And where, um, now one thing the court decisions did do, which is why it was important for that to all happen in the courts, is because same-sex marriage became the law of the land, people in all these different communities were going to see same-sex couples and same-sex families and all of that, which means that you're going to actually Harvey Milk and what his, his philosophy was is that once they see us and once they get to know us, a lot of the prejudices will drop. And it was the message that Don just had for us in terms of trans people. Get to know a trans person. You know, if you have all these opinions, get to know someone who actually is trans, you know, because the person will probably make you question these preconceived beliefs that you had. But because there is this portion of American society that did not catch up, that probably did see gay people and didn't care, and because they have their own prejudices, they went in the closet, and now, thanks to Donald Trump, thanks to Ron DeSantis, they are coming out of the closet, and they're coming out with all their vitriolic opinions and desire to oppress us and make us go away. I mean, before, before same-sex marriage became legal, there was a town in Tennessee that literally wanted to pass a law that forbade any gay people from living there at all. They actually wanted to do that. So it's like this is not new, but it is being leveraged by the conservative right to, 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 or to um, invigorate their base. The core of that base is, are these, homophobic, transphobic people. Um, and they are, they're, are, they're definitely in Central California. All the places you mentioned are part of that conservative little through line in California of, you know, rural communities. They held their prejudices. I wrote um, articles about them just only 10 years ago. So probably, you know, within the time frame of, of those old textbooks, where there was a community in, um, in Central California that was forbidding their students from putting out a play based on Tango Makes Three, which is, uh, was a children's book about um, two male penguins raising an egg, and they were going to do a play on it, and it created this big firestorm. You know? and, um, you know, and so I went back and forth with them writing this article and then they responded to my article and then I wrote an, another article about it. So these people exist. The one that really kills me though is not even the, the LGBTQ issue, but it goes back to that one of slavery. Um, that propaganda was around 
in the 1910, 1920s. Um, and it was kind of the backbone of an old movie called um, Birth of a Nation, which was um, filmically heralded as this great landmark film, but in that film had that propaganda about black people. It showed happy black slaves that felt the comfort of the protection of their white male plantation owners. And, you know, it, it wanted to put forth that, that image of the happy black slave. And um, even Disney's Song of the South um, projected that image. Um, and it was all propaganda. I mean, um, we have since our media has brought forth a lot of more honest storytelling about what slavery was really about. And it doesn't take a leap of imagination. I mean, it's like, I mean, conservatives are have been protesting over the last few years how horrified they are at their rights and their freedoms where you simply ask them to wear a mask for public health. And that, to them, is a huge affront to their freedom. I don't know why they can't imagine having their complete ownership under a other human being, no matter how you're treated. And and there certainly was was huge huge abuse and mistreatment in that. Why they can't even imagine how horrific that was to be a slave. Um, but bottom line, you know, part of this, you know fighting them against what the vice president has called gaslighting, why it's so important is your kids who you try to educate this way, what they will end up with when they come out in the real world that is not so miseducated is, they will not believe anything that you ever taught them when they see the lies that you're trying to propagate on them. That is what the end result is going to be. And that is going to be a disaster for you, bottom line. So... Anyway, other than that, I have no opinion on everything you talked about, Brody. <laughs> well, I, you know, it, it's it's a thing where you're right, and and a lot of it is, you know, finding itself uh, in court scenarios. Um, there's a, ironically, you mentioned M Tango Makes Three. There's currently a federal uh, court case that has to do with banning library books in North Florida. I spoke to Michelle Smallwood, uh, who is the director of the Gulf Coast uh, LGBT Center in the Florida Panhandle city of Pensacola. Uh, they currently are suing on behalf of the local library there in Pensacola uh, and also uh, with the blessing and help from, I believe it's Penguin Books, uh, which is an ironic thing considering the title ironic. of the book. <laughs> but... Uh, who are also joined in the suit, and it's and it's again it's under the censorship and it's the nonsense, you know, with what goes on. But it is rather far ranging. The Montana State Library uh, withdrew from membership in the American Library Association. Now, mind you, the American Library Association um, is probably close to a. 150 years old, maybe more. Actually, yeah, because it was founded in 1876. This is an association of American libraries whose primary goal is not only to provide services to tens of thousands of libraries across the United States, but advocate for them, you know, to help out with people trying to censor and ban books, et cetera, et cetera. 
But the head of the State Library Commission of Montana decided that, you know, the state needed to pull out because the current American Library Association president, her name is Emily Drabinsky. Uh, Emily I've actually met. Um, she's an openly uh, out lesbian. And on top of that, um, she made some Twitter remarks about being a, quote, Marxist lesbian, which, of course, that got taken out of context quickly. And yeah. so what ended up happening was that the entire Montana Library Board uh, decided that, you know, they didn't want to touch, you know, obviously homosexual stuff. And then worse for their thinking, of course, was this so-called battle over critical race, um, which you know, here we have an entire state library system that has now withdrawn from an organization, you know, whose whole purpose and goal is to preserve and protect, you know, the freedoms of the readers and people that need to access the library system. Uh, I'm going to give a quick shout out to uh, Alex Lassen, who is an investigative reporter with the Montana Free Press. Uh, in uh, Missoula, and he was the one that wrote the article. If you guys want to read it, it's at uh, Montana uh, Free Press, uh, and the title self-explanatory, State Library Withdraws from National Association. But it's not just there. I mean, we've seen in other places where um, in Mississippi, Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, even in Pennsylvania, where townships have threatened to defund their libraries over LGBTQ content. One place got so annoyed, okay, that they couldn't get anything done. A woman, I think I wrote about it, went in, and she checked out all the pride books that was in the little display because the library was a small-town library. They all can only afford one copy each. So this woman went in there and checked out the whole display, okay? And it's like, okay, fine. So you don't want to have your rights infringed, but you're okay with infringing on everybody else's rights and all to children? Uh, that doesn't work. And so, you know, it, it's one of those things where it goes beyond, I think, just the usual blatant hypocrisy of the right. You know, in, in some cases, you know, as evidenced by some of the things we've seen, it, it goes into, you know, some pretty wonky, nutty territory because there's no well, common yeah, sense involved. Yeah, well, that's the point. There is no common sense in, involved. And, you know, it's like, it, and I'm certainly, you know, one of the first on social media to point out the hypocrisy of the right um, because they are, you know, it's, it's almost a mantra for them. I mean, it's like, you know, from on every level, you know, in principle and arguments like this, you know, when they say the word freedom, they never mean freedom. They mean, you know, their their freedom to do whatever they want and to to um, infringe on whoever they want. I mean, it's like religious freedom is a joke because, you know, obviously it isn't about religious freedom. It is about one particular religious philosophy, not even all of that religious philosophy, because it's not even representing all of Christianity. It is representing a liver of Christianity of evangelicals who are, you know, their, their, their principles are not even true to the principles that the Bible lays out. 
but they are this this one ilk of Christianity that get to impose that on everyone else because it's like it I never see anything that goes the other direction where you know it's where um you know an atheist gets to discriminate against a Christian because um the Christian you know is is not allowing the atheist to practice their non-religion or you know it, it's like it it never works that way and and the court never looks at those cases this is always about you know where one particular religious philosophy gets to impose themselves on someone else anyway hypocrisy is through all of it it is never something that's equanimous of of you get to feel this way i get to feel this way and we're going to make it okay for both of us it's it's always a, a one-way direction on on all of no it. um it is one of the things that you know and i've pointed this out uh to my fellow journalists and i've pointed this out to other folks um over 50 years ago the arguably founder of what became the conservative part of the Republican Party, which is morphed way beyond that, had made this uh, statement to a group of reporters, and I'm going to read it to you. Mark my word, if and when these preachers get control of the Republican Party, and they're sure trying to do so, it's going to be a terrible damn problem. Frankly, these people frighten me. Politics and governing demand compromise. But these Christians believe that they are acting in the name of God, so they can't and won't compromise. I know. I've tried to deal with them. That was Arizona's senior senator and, uh, and 1964 presidential candidate, Barry Goldwater. So right. over 50 years ago, you know, Senator Goldwater was saying, pay attention to this. And when you look at, especially with these school board meetings and these book bans and these other things, uh, you know, the, the very first thing they do is, and, and I've noticed that they do, almost all of them do it, well, well I'm a Christian, and it's again, I mean, it, that's always the preface to all their remarks, but it literally echoes with their actions and their deeds precisely what Senator Goldwater over 50 years ago warned about. It's like, he saw this coming, nobody paid attention, and now here we are. And they do do right. that. They, they, it's their first line of defense, and, and the thing that is, once they go to that point, there is no compromise. There is no give and take. It is their way, the highway. And even when other parents, and I've seen this happen, I'm sure it's going to happen tonight in the Chino school board meeting, but other parents, they get in front of these microphones and they go, you can have your beliefs, but you don't have the right to impose those beliefs on my children. Now, there was a right. woman that went viral about a week ago making very similar comments, uh, I paraphrased, I guess, um, and, and I agree with everything she said. And as Senator Goldwater said over 50 years ago, it's a right. damn problem. Um, well, Brody, and, and the, yeah, bro, yeah. Sorry to interrupt you, but speaking of senators, um, I believe we have um, Senator McBride on the line. So oh. We, oh, I oh, think okay. we will – Table, you're my ranting on and on, and um, we'll we'll just go to uh, Senator McBride. Uh, Senator Sarah McBride, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me on. How are you doing? Uh, uh, we're doing great. We actually had a friend of yours um, stop in before you came in. Um, journalist Don Ennis was was on and making some commentary, 
And she did want to remind you that when you become president, she is in line to be your press secretary. I, so. re- I and Listen, I remember uh, Dawn asking me that on the record, uh, and I remember uh, uh, making that commitment. <laughs> okay, that's Great. one briefing room I want to sit in, Senator. Trust me on that one. <laughs> would be quite a, quite, quite, quite a riot. Dawn would be amazing. Yeah. She's doing fabulous work. So, so um, for our listeners, I wanted to say something real quick. Um, I am deeply honored, by the way, Sarah, that you're joining Rob and I yet again. Uh, when you wrote your book, of course, we had you on and we talked about it. But for, for the listeners out there, I've known Sarah uh, since she first introduced herself to the world as a graduating senior at American University in Washington, D.C. I was a senior reporter for Reuters and the Washington Bureau Chief. Uh, for a national gay publication. Um, Sarah is someone that I've gotten to know personally over the years. I think the world of her. uh, And one of the things uh, that I actually joked with her, during one summer she was an intern uh, in the Obama White House, and I kidded her that uh, she finally got to uh, watch West Wing in real time (laughs) because she, like myself, was an aficionado of the West Wing. Sarah is, the reason we're having her on, Sarah is making a run for the U.S. House for Delaware as uh, the congressional representative there, and I think that she's got a better than average chance, and we desperately need politicians like the senator uh, to represent, you know, constituencies. Uh, So this is an unabashed plug for the senator that I hope she does, in fact, be elected to the U.S. House because I'm sure having had conversations with the minority leader, Hakeem Jeffries, and some of the other folks in the Democratic caucus, they would dearly love to have you sitting in the chair there. So with that, I'll hand Aww. it back to Rob. But Sarah, thank you so much for everything you do. Thank you so much for that incredible, incredible uh, welcome and, and commentary. It means the world to me, and, and uh, I've, I've cherished uh, being able to call you a, a friend for years now. Yeah, and I would love I would love to see you in the U.S. House for a lot of reasons. Representation, um, not not the least of them, um, because we we need to have that body representing all Americans. And um, there's probably nobody better than you that can represent uh, transgender people um, for our country. Um, so I wanted to ask you though, because. In the state house where you're you are currently representing, um, you've had to actually swat away a couple of these um, uh, horrendous anti-trans bills. So my question is twofold: is what is the process, and what are your feelings about having to deal with all that? But I also, just on a personal level, I almost can't imagine somebody who's a constituent in in that body being able to face you while they're proposing such a thing. Um, <laughs> what is that like? Sure. Well, you know, one of the things that I that I said when I was running for the for the state Senate, one of the things I've been talking about as a candidate for Congress is, that, you know, I'm not running to be, quote, the transgender member of the Delaware State Senate or the transgender member of Congress. I'm running to be a member of Congress representing Delaware who's working on all of the issues that matter to people of every background here in Delaware. And 
I, I ran for the state Senate to, to do the same. But to your point, representation does matter. Uh, as the old saying goes, if you're not at the table, then you're on the menu. And right. it is a lot easier to both deprioritize the policies that a particular community needs to live and to thrive when that community is not present in the room. And it's a lot easier to attack that community when they're not in the room. So when one of my colleagues introduced um, uh, a version of, of one of the many anti-trans laws we've seen percolate around the country here in Delaware, uh, that bill was, was referred to the committee that I chair. And for the first time in American history, a trans person chaired a hearing, a legislative hearing on a bill that targeted and attacked transgender people. You know, for years, trans people had to come before anti-trans lawmakers in the big chair to plead and fight for our rights. And now uh, lawmakers and anti-trans activists who were pushing anti-trans policies had to come before a trans person in the big chair to answer our questions to look us in the eye, uh, to have to seek our vote. And I don't think it'll come as a surprise to your listeners. They didn't get my vote. Uh, and we were able to defeat that bill, uh, to kill that bill. Um, and I think a couple of things. One, you know, when, when, when you have to answer a trans person's questions, questions on an anti-trans bill, just, their sheer, just the sheer presence of a trans person in that space helps to humanize the issue, helps to demonstrate the cruelty of, of the policies that they're pushing, um, helps to reinforce who trans people are, because in the absence of that clear picture, it's easy for the fear-mongering and the scare tactics to take hold. Um, but just as importantly, it was important for young people, young trans people across the state to see someone like them fighting for them and protecting them. And, you know, as, as we're facing so many attacks, I think few things could be more empowering than to see our own community with the power uh, to fight back and, and, and defeat these types of attacks. And um, so one of the things we've had Brandon Wolf on who, you know, is in, with Equality Florida and um, very involved down there. And obviously that's sort of almost like ground zero for a lot of this attack. Um, and one of the things we've, kind of in, in our decision making, you know, as because we ruled the world, um, is that a lot of the impetus behind the, a lot of the anti-trans stuff is political. It's meant to rile up a base. It's meant to divert attention from dealing with other issues. Um, when people especially have the gall to throw this up in front of you, is that what you see or are you seeing some people who are just misguided and but somehow sincere in their ignorance? I, I think it's mostly the the former, but a little bit the latter. You know, I'll I'll be generous to my colleague who introduced these bills. I think he genuinely believes it. I think he genuinely believes it. Uh, but I think frankly, more, almost more offensively, there are a lot of politicians who are pushing these policies who don't believe it or who don't care uh, and who are pushing it because this is part of a political strategy. Um, and I think we're seeing that at the federal level. I think we're seeing that nationally. I think there are exceptions. I think my, my colleague does genuinely believe uh, in what he's fighting for. But I think for the most part, the reason why we've seen these policies uh, across the country 
is not because these politicians really genuinely believe in them. It's not because they personally genuinely think that these should be priorities for legislatures or Congress. It's because they're trying to distract from the fact that they have absolutely no policy solutions for workers and families throughout our country. And they are trying to distract from that fact and the fact that they have just a litany of policy failures over the last three decades. And look, that strategy isn't new by right-wing politicians throughout history. They have sought to divide and conquer. They have sought to target a particularly vulnerable community, to fearmonger and, and, and scapegoat that community uh, in order to perpetuate the kinds of anti-family, anti-worker, frankly, anti-freedom policies that, that they support on issues like corporate welfare or taxes or social spending uh, or foreign policy. And so we've, we've seen this as a tactic throughout history. And the trans community right now is the target of, of, of that ongoing strategy. Right. And one thing I, I want to kind of touch with you on, because you've already accomplished this in your career and, you know, next steps into the U.S. Um, Congress. Um, but you have done an, a lot of things that have nothing to do with LGBTQ rights. Um, you've done, you have been behind the Hel- Healthy Delaware Families Act, um, Equal Pay for Equal Work Act, the Criminal Justice Reform Act, and the Healthcare Affordability Act, among others. What are your priorities, you know, if you were to sit, number one, sit in the U.S. Congress, and number two, should you, um, and I would vote for this, um, be like leader of the House and, you know, have somebody who is really going to set the agenda for the, the House of Representatives, what would be your slate? Sure. So uh, you mentioned a couple of the policies that I've been proud to to lead on and and champion in in the Delaware General Assembly, including the the proudest moment in my time in the Delaware State Senate, which was the passage of the Healthy Delaware Families Act, which established an up to 12-week paid family and medical leave insurance program here in Delaware, the largest expansion of the social safety net in modern state history here in Delaware. Look, when we started that effort, Political observers said it would never come, and if it would, and if it did, it would take a decade or more. Uh, but in just a, a year, uh, to bring together Democrats and Republicans, workers and employers, and we were able to pass that that legislation and, and make it law um, with the bipartisan with bipartisan supermajorities. And I was proud to be the prime sponsor of that bill. Uh, and I'm running for Congress because I believe that Congress, like the Delaware General Assembly, Uh, back in 2020, needed to work better for workers and families, especially when hard times hit. And so I'm running to build on the progress that we've made in the Delaware General Assembly to invest in paid family medical leave at the federal level so Delaware can have a more robust program for more workers and, and families here in our state, to guarantee affordable, quality, early childhood education for every family in Delaware, to codify to choose under federal law like we've done here in Delaware to truly protect the right to an abortion for Delawareans, for all Americans, and to pass the kinds of common sense gun safety measures we've been able to pass here in Delaware like an assault weapons mm-hmm. ban. And so I'm running because Congress needs to deliver those things. And I've shown a, a, a capacity to take on big challenges, to take on the big issues, and to actually deliver results. 
And now more than ever, we need that at the federal level. And so those would be issues that I'd prioritize. There are issues that I'd prioritize as a member of Congress who's a fresh freshman. Um, you know, they, they, they no matter where I, I, I would be in that caucus, those would be issues that I'd um, be focused on. And frankly, that's where Democrats are focused. That's where the president's focused. The parts that were left behind in what was called the Build Back Better Act that were left out of what, what became the Inflation Reduction Act um, that those investments in our care economy, workers, families, and our economy desperately need those investments. Excellent. And one of the things that is changing on the electoral uh, landscape is that um, in the next election, Gen Zs will be equal in number to baby boomers. Um, what in particular is your message to that part of the population to the Gen Zers who are going to be voting for the first time? Sure. You know, we need more young people in Congress who know how to deliver. I'm not Gen Z. I'm a millennial. Um, But like Gen Z, I have a stake in the outcomes of these policies. I'm going to have to live with the decisions that our Congress makes today and tomorrow. Um, and so whether we're talking about the issues that I just mentioned, whether we're talking about the existential threat of climate change, I feel the sense of urgency that Gen Z voters are feeling right now. And I truly believe that this is a critical moment for our planet, for our democracy, for our society. And we don't have the luxury of sitting on the sidelines. We don't have the luxury of waiting um, because if we wait, we put our democracy and our planet at risk. And so, you know, I would say to them, keep fighting for that change that you have been fighting for, from climate change to gun safety. Uh, I'll be right there with you, and I'll be right there with you, not just to fight for it, but to deliver it. And speaking of fights, um, the New York Times just published an article about the potential Trump platform should should he somehow get elected um, to the presidency. Um, what was your reaction to that in terms of kind of this fascist wave that is actually starting to hit the political landscape? Well, unfortunately, uh, Donald Trump just continues to uh, run further and further to the right. I mean, this this presidential race is a race to the bottom for the Republican Party. Trump and DeSantis are are trying to, you know, out-authoritarian each other. Um, And, you know, while while those types of policies, uh, while that type of rhetoric might play well with, you know, the ever-shrinking Republican base that votes in a Republican presidential primary, it does not play well with the general electorate. Uh, and and the, the, the culture war topic du jour that the Republicans are, are focusing in on, uh, they ring hollow with voters. They, voters are not concerned with, uh, you know, trans kids fully participating in public life. Uh, they're, not, they're not scared by that. They're not scared by women having the right to choose. They're not scared by, you know, employers seeking to diversify and create, you know, inclusive workplaces. They're not scared by that. What they're scared of, what they're scared of is not being able to afford to pay their mortgage. What they're scared of mm-hmm. is 
a serious illness and then having to, to, to break the bank to get better. What they're scared of is their kid not having full opportunities uh, in the future. What they're scared of is a planet that that's not, that's not going to exist um, for their children's children. That's what's keeping people up at night, uh, not the sideshow issues that the Republicans are focused on. So, you know, I, I believe that as they continue to race to the bottom, they're going to make themselves more and more unelectable. But we have to be clear, what's at risk? Because if they do get the presidency, if they do uh, maintain the House, if they take the majority in the Senate, these are the policies that they will implement. And those are policies that will divide. They are policies that will discriminate. There will, policy, there will be policies that don't actually meet the needs of people across this country. And in so doing, they will hurt a lot of people. Uh, and we have to be crystal clear about what the stakes are. Absolutely. Um, Senator McBride, unfortunately, we are out of time. Um, but what, if, for people interested in your campaign for the House, um, where do they find out more? Where can they make some contributions? How do they uh, get involved? Sure. So um, I've been overwhelmed by we've, we've, the campaign's been overwhelmed by the outpouring of support from people in Delaware and, and beyond, folks who visited sarahmcbride.com to donate, to sign up, to volunteer, to get involved. Uh, and as we look forward to the next year of this campaign, we need more people to log on to sarahmcbride.com to help support this campaign and get us over the finish line while we're starting from a great spot. The reality is, is what we're trying to do has never been done, and that's because it is hard. And so we need people's help. Well, we are there for you, and, um, you know, anything we can do, please let us know. Um, obviously, you have a seat on this show anytime you want it, um, you know, as, as I'm sure you have seats on a lot of other shows who want you on them. But uh, we are fully, fully, fully in your court and, and actually can't wait for your success because I'm sure that will be achieved, and um, we want to be there for you. Um, unfortunately, well, that is oh, – go ahead, sorry. I was just going to say thank you so much for having me on. Uh, our pleasure. I, our honor, our pleasure, and, um, and thank you. Thank you most importantly for being you. Um, and thank you for coming on the show as well, but thank you for what you are contributing to the world. It is not duplicated and is is incredibly, incredibly important. Um, that is all the time we have for today, so I want to thank Brody for his work on the show, as well as being editor of the Los Angeles Blade. Um, you can read the Los Angeles Blade at losangelesblade.com, and please do so. We will be back again next week. We have an exciting guest lined up for you already. I won't tell you who it is. You're going to have to tune in and find out. All I can say is you won't want to miss it. So for us at Rated LGBT Radio, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio. 